0: The responsive reading this morning comes from Psalm 96, beginning with the first verse. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord, most worthy of praise, He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say to the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord before he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his truth. Say to the Lord, Lord reigns. The New Testament lesson for today comes from the book of Matthew, 22nd chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. They sent the disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher... We know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Before we open this portion of God's word, let's pray together and ask him, to teach us. Our Father, we're humbled. We've just given you your tithes and our offerings. And it's a humble confession every week as we give Those tithes and offerings. It's a humble, it humbles us. We say to you in that giving that we're dependent completely upon you, that we don't have anything unless you give it to us. It's a tribute that we pay to the true owner. This is our Father's world, and the Lord does reign. That's our confession. Our Father, we're so thankful that you've asked us, told us, commanded us, not only to take your gospel out of the world and be prophets to the world around us, but you've called us to be priests and to come before you for the world around us. Father, we could spend the rest of our time recounting. How you have blessed the last month, the last six months, and the last year. How you have blessed and healed and answered prayers. So we continue to come before you as your are praising. We pray for Tula Tula Gattis. Father, we pray that you would bring healing. But most of all, Father, we pray that you would grow that faith in her that's already there and cause her to have a profound testimony to the world around her. Bless Jim Bennington, Father. We thank you that he is where he is, that he has the care that he has. Father, that in itself is an answer to prayer. We pray for Vicki Anderson this morning that you would use these treatments to bring healing We pray for Jim Haas, Father. We thank you for what you did in his life in this last week. Thank you for rescuing and healing. We pray that there will be no further complications. We pray, Father, you would bring a complete healing to him. And now, Father, as we open your word, we pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts. For John Sartell cannot teach, so we'll make any difference. We've heard your voice in the past in this place. Father, you've changed us and you continue to change us. This morning we pray that you would speak. Maybe, maybe someone hear, hearing, really hearing for the first time. We pray when we leave here in a few minutes that we will know you have spoken. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Jesus in Caesar's world, or is it Caesar, or is it Jesus in Caesar's world, or is it Caesar in Jesus' world? I want to come immediately to the first point this morning as we look at this passage. And we see Jesus in the midst of a hostile world in this scene. Look at verse 19. And the scribes and chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Look at Matthew twenty-two fifteen. 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You saw last week in an excellent message preached by Tyler that Luke began the 20th chapter with the chief priests and the scribes and the elders coming after Jesus, attacking Christ. In the scene before us this morning, we see that continues. It's a theme of the entire chapter. Now we see the Pharisees and the Herodians join in these hostile attacks. In the very next scene, next week, we'll see the Sadducees come to join in those attacks. These were not polite theological debates. Their goal was to destroy him. Look at verse 20. So as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. They, their goal was to have him executed by the Roman government. This is repeated. This same thing is repeated again. The statements repeated again at the beginning of chapter 22 in verse 2. Look at it. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. The world has not changed. We do not live in... Christians do not live in a kinder time today. Go back and look at the last hundred years from the year 1900 to the present. More people, more Christians have died in this world than any other single century before that. Did you know that? We need to look at this passage and understand this truth. The world is not neutral. Some of the most powerful individuals and institutions around us are violently opposed to Christ. The irony is that even even inside churches today, the incarnation is denied. The deity of Christ is denied. The hostility toward this Christ of the gospel in Luke. It's not only in the world out there, it's in the so-called churches of our land. We see these opponents come against Jesus in Luke 20. And it's the same thing in our world today. Richard Dawkins, you know him. He referred to himself in one of the titles of his book as the devil's chaplain. In his arrogant onslaught. Against Christianity and against Christ. Ben Stein. Actually was trying to wake up Christians. As he encountered. Was shocked. As he encountered the hostility. Toward Christianity in the classrooms of our land. He made a movie about this. It was called Expelled. Remember? This man was trying to wake up Christians. To the hostility that was taking place in our own culture. But I want us to step back for a moment and look at Jesus in this passage, in the rest of the gospel, and see something more. Jesus was not neutral toward the world. Somehow, I think that even though we're we're not, we would say, I think most of us in this room would say, you know, John, I, I'm not naive about what the world is like and the world's attitude toward Christianity. But I think we have an attitude toward that world that says, look, just leave us alone. Some of us in studying this passage would say, I'm not naive about the world. I'm a Christian. I understand that the world is trying to eat my lunch every day out there. But there's a greater lesson to learn. Most of us are fighting a defensive battle, a defensive war. We're trying to fight off the world. You know what a war of conquest is? It's just what it says. It is a war in which a nation is trying to conquer another nation. You know what a war of attrition is? It's a war in which a nation is simply trying trying to hang on to what it has. Not trying to conquer, just hang on. Now, what kind of war is Christ fighting? What kind of war is the church fighting? It's not a war of attrition. What did Jesus say at the end of the gospel? You take this gospel to the ends of the earth. He said, you will take this gospel to the ends of the world. He said, my kingdom will go to the end of the world and to the end of the ages. It will transcend all of the kingdoms. When he, we saw this a few weeks ago. Remember the passage where he was talking about his death? Not only who he was, but he, had, he, he began to talk about what he had come to do. We saw that day that when he died on the cross, and you don't understand the cross unless you see it in this way. He died in a cosmic battle. He was fighting a battle at Calvary. And even though he died there, he did not lose. In his death was victory. And it was obvious three days later in the resurrection. He was waging a war to conquer. It was a war against sin, against Satan, against evil. Everything about his life, his incarnation, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his call to discipleship was about fighting to conquer. We have an attitude that the church is a fortress. Here's the church. We're in a hostile world. And we gather in the church. And we fight off the attacks of the world. That's not the picture that Jesus gives us in Scripture. Remember Matthew 16, 16, 18? when Peter made his confession, what did Jesus say? I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not overcome it. Now think about that for a minute. What was Jesus saying? Was he saying that Satan comes at us with the gates of hell and our churches? and No, the picture is that the churches go That the church goes to the very gates of hell. It reaches into society. It reaches to every part of society. And even the gates of hell will not be able to stand against that onslaught. Since we see the hostility in this passage, we understand we're living in a fallen world. And we're living in a world that's not neutral. Folks, and in Sometimes it will look like we're being conquered. It looked at Calvary as if Christ had been conquered. He had not been conquered. He was dying for our sins. And he accomplished it. One day because of what he said at Calvary, and what he did at Calvary, you'll be able to stand before God himself, before all the courts of heaven and say, who can bring a charge against me? And it will be because of what he did that day. Everywhere he went, he pushed back against the darkness. That's what he calls his church to do. Jesus in a hostile world. Secondly, I want you to see Jesus in Caesar's world. Look at verse 21. So they ask him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. He said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. To understand the full weight of this question, you must understand about who asked the question. This is really a brilliant move on their part. Look at Matthew twenty-two fifteen. 15. This is what we hear from Matthew. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. The question was about paying taxes to Rome was asked by Pharisees and Herodians. Now, why? What was their plan? Well, understand that the Pharisees strongly hated. They hated Rome. The Pharisees were nationalistic Jews that hated Rome. They were smart enough not to rebel openly, but they considered the Roman occupation of Israel to be a spiritual offense. There was a holy hatred they had for them. So that's one group that came to Jesus that day. But they came with the Herodians. The Herodians were just the opposite. That's the Pharisees. The Herodians were Jews. They were Jewish. But they followed the political ploy of the Herods. They had formed an alliance with Rome for social, economic, and political gain. They had said, hey, you know what? This, that Rome's here. That's just a truth we can't ignore. Let's see what good we can get out of it. And they they allied with Rome, so they came to Jesus. Jesus, shall we pay taxes to Rome? If he said, if he said, yes, Israel, the Jews should pay taxes to Rome. They Rome has a right to these taxes. If he says that. The people in Israel, the people hated. Right. And the people would turn against Jesus. If he, if he said to the Pharisees, we should not pay taxes Rome. They're a pagan, heathen government. And no taxes should be paid. The Herodians could go to Pilate and say, Jesus is preaching against the emperor. That was their plan. They used flattery. Look at verse 21. So they ask him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Flattery is the opposite of gossip. With gossip, we say behind someone's back what we would never say to their face. With flattery, we say to their faith what we would never say behind their back. These people that asked the question whether they were Pharisees or Herodias. they would have never talked to each other and said, doesn't Jesus really speak the truth? You've just got to admire that he, he, he doesn't care what people think. He's going to tell you what the truth is. No, they would never say that to each other behind. They hate him. They hate him. They thought he was blasphemous. They thought he was a liar. So there it's set. Why did Jesus ask them to show him a denarius? They had asked, is it right for us to pay taxes with Caesar? The word Luke used for taxes was the Greek word "phoron." It meant tribute. It was a tribute paid to Rome. It was a tribute paid to Rome because they were under the subjugation of Rome. When they paid the tax, the denarius had to be paid with a Roman coin. This was a Roman coin. It had to be paid with a Roman coin. And so they were admitting, when they paid the tax, they were admitting subjugation, that they were subject, ruled by Rome. Caesar's image was on the face of the coin. Jesus simply said, whose face? They said Caesar. He said, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? It is lawful and right to give the ruling government its due. This tax belongs to his domain. That's what Jesus was saying. Rome provided and built, protected a road system. There was no kingdom previously in the world that previous Rome, that built the road system that Rome did. Rome kept order. There was a thing called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Rome might have been a powerful bully, but she kept peace on the playground. Province did not fight against province, because Rome would come in and squash both. It was on the Roman roads that the gospel spread. If you look at, if you study the history of the early church, these roads that Rome built—this is what God was doing. This God superintended all of this. How did Paul travel? How did the Christians travel? How did the gospel spread? It spread on those roads, and it spread under the popes' romana. All of that was Caesar's domain. Jesus said, "Caesar, what's Caesar's?" This did not fall on deaf ears. Listen to Paul in the Book of Romans. Look at Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Look at verse 4. For he is God's servant, talking about the emperor, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 6. For the same reason, you also pay taxes for the authorities, this is written by a man. Rome cut off this man's head. But this is what he wrote. For the same reason you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Where did they get that? They got it from Jesus. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Was Caesar's government corrupt? Absolutely. Was Caesar's government oppressive? Absolutely. Were Christians persecuted under Caesar's government? Yes. In fact, it was their government that crucified Christ. But he said, still said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It was their duty to pay the taxes. Caesar would one day answer to God for how he reigned and how he used those taxes. Jesus recognized, look at this and say, Jesus recognized the legitimate role for which God had created the institution of government. Now man's corrupted. it, But God instituted government for the order of people and nations. Let me ask you a question. Where in the Gospels, now wake up, I want you to answer this. Where in the Gospels do you see Jesus rail against the government? Go look for it. You're not going to find it. In fact, where the government is mentioned in the New Testament is usually in a favorable light. Now, let me ask you another question. When is the last time you heard yourself or another Christian rail against the government? I hated to say this to y'all. I've railed against the government all week long. My Daughter and son-in-law heard me do it. I believe that we as Christians have adopted a view that becoming involved in government is something akin to becoming involved in a brothel. And most of you us would say, Amen. Our motto is you cannot be a Christian and be involved in politics. People that's a sinful idea. It's right out of the pit of hell. It's something that Satan has sold us because this has taken Christians out of the political arena. It is what, take, that is, it is what has taken Christians out of legitimate arenas. God made the arts. Writing and acting are callings of God. God commanded education and scientific study. Why don't we have more Christians in these vocations? Because we have mottos like, you can't be in the arts and be a Christian. You can't be in politics and be a Christian. You can't be a scientist and be a Christian. Folks... You choose the arena. I don't care if you're digging ditches. It's hard to be a Christian in a fallen world. It's difficult to be a Christian, period, in this fallen world. Young people, don't you believe what has been sold to our generation? I hope many of you grow up and become mayors and councilmen and councilwomen and senators and representatives and justices. Judges, governors, presidents. If we leave government to the heathen, then we will have what the heathen government gives us. Go back to the founding. Go back and sit with the founders of our country. Not all of them are Christians. They realized they belonged to a Judeo-Christian ethic. And it echoed through Freedom Hall. It echoed echoed through those constitutional conventions daily. Daily. We see Jesus in a hostile world. We see Jesus in Caesar's world. Finally, I want us to look at now Caesar in Jesus' world. Look at verse 25. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. always hear, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, But there's not much emphasis. We just forget about that part. And to, and to God the things that are God. And we say it kind of like it's a Sunday school answer. This is huge. Our whole service was built around this last statement. And to God the things that are God. Go back and read our call to worship this morning. Go back and read the responsive reading that we read with Greg. All of it says, God reigns, God rules. What did we, the first hymn we sang, people love that hymn. Listen, that is so pretty. Do you realize what a confirmation you're standing in the middle of a fallen world that Satan believes belongs to him? And you're singing, this is my father's world. You're saying to the sinful fallen world out there, this is my father's world. Jesus who died shall be satisfied. Jesus' answer was brilliant. Let's go back to that coin. On the denarius, there was more than just the face of the Caesar, uh, than the face of Caesar. Jesus asked the question: Whose face, whose likeness, and inscription does the coin bear? You see, it was not only a face on that, but they had the face of Caesar. But there was an inscription. You know what the inscription said? Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of divine Augustus. He was saying that Augustus Caesar was God, and that Tiberius Caesar was the son of God. Now You see what Jesus is doing. You render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. but You render to God what belongs to him. Jesus' final words, give to God what is God's, not only reminded the people to whom they owed their first allegiance, but it reminded kings and emperors that God was ruler over all. It was not Caesar who gave deity to God. It was God who gave the rule to Caesar. What was, what was it? The first commandment. and the Jewish law, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. What was it Jesus said? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Paul was a Christian martyr who died at the hands of Rome. And he was a Roman citizen, born in Tarsus. In many ways, he was a good Roman citizen. And you will you will see Christians you read the history and you read the history of Roman citizens Christians who had impeccable recommendations. They swore allegiance to Rome until Rome asked that they swear their first and primary allegiance to Rome and not to Christ. Those early Christians said, I will serve Rome until Rome asks me to deny Christ and then I will die. Jesus could have said, written to Caesar things of Caesar, and it would have been been all right. But he said, you render unto Caesar what Caesar is Caesar's, and you give to God what belongs to him. <laughs> Go back to the coin for a minute, and we're done. The word, Jesus said, whose likeness is on that coin? The word for likeness there is icon, or we get our word icon for that on our computers. Likeness. The word is icon. Do you know where that word occurs? In the first chapter of Genesis? In the Greek, Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That Greek word is used in Genesis 1, 26. Several times. Let me read it to you. Then God said, Let us make man in our image icon." After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the, birds of the, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him male and female. God stamped his image on all of mankind. We are made spiritual. There's something in us that's not an animal kingdom. There's a spirit about us. That animals does not have. There's a soul that animals do not have. We are made spiritual, personal, rational, and moral. In a way that no other creatures are. God was saying, I will stamp this part of my creation with my image. Jesus was saying, you render unto Caesar, what is Caesar? That's this coin. But you render to God what is God's, and you're stamped with his image. I'm like that coin. Even if you're not a Christian, you're you're like that coin. You're stamped with God's image. I saw a girl with a, she had a tattoo on her back. <laughs> it was the, the name Mark. Obviously she had been in love with Mark. She had his name stamped on her. She was Mark's. Well, she was about to get married and her husband's name was not Mark. She wanted that stamp removed. That's very much like modern man. Like Dawkins. Like our secular culture. They're stamped with God's image and their whole lives are devoted to getting rid of that stamp. They have said publicly, they've said, you know, there is no law. There is no God. And if you say there is no God, you've got to say there's no absolutes. There is no law. That's why the governor of Virginia can stand up. So it doesn't matter whether the baby's been born or not. If after the baby's born, if... It's a consensus that the baby's unwanted, we take the baby's life. What is it doing? Trying to throw off the stamp. There's no absolutes, there's no law. We've taught this for three generations. We're just animals. There's nothing in us. We don't have soul. There's no difference essentially between us and the great ape. There's no difference between us and a horse. We're all animals and there's no soul. Jesus was saying here, you're stamped. You're stamped with God's image. That was our confession of worship this morning. Maybe you've never confessed that. Maybe you're not a Christian. This morning you can do that for the first time. You can say, you know, I am stamped with God's image. God calls you. You give to God. That's why we're redeemed. So we can do that. You give to God what is God's.